Welcome to the Unearthing Betrayal podcast with Nathan and Whitney. We are the authors of Unearthing Betrayal, Navigating Deception and Choice in the Aftermath of Sexual Infidelity. In our podcasts, we discuss a variety of topics that couples face when historical sexual deception has taken place in the relationship. Not everyone who experiences betrayal has the same history and relationship reality we have. However, we see the importance of sharing what our journey has been like with others facing this type of relationship crisis. In this episode, episode three, we're discussing a therapeutic disclosure process with a follow-up polygraph test that Nathan chose to take back in July of 2020. We realize that this is a very charged topic among couples. Um, It's something that we each on both sides of the betrayal coin have questions about, and we wanted to discuss it with you from our own perspectives. Nathan is going to go through the process as he remembers it. I'm going to give some intake and opinions and feelings from my side, and we hope that it brings some clarity to um, the reality of what it looks like It helps to open it up for discussion uh, as each individual um, faces this potential for themselves, and we want you to be able to be a little bit more informed on the subject. All right, so let me first give a little background. Um, So throughout my life, I kept all kinds of sexual secrets, not just from Whitney, but uh, from everybody uh, from a very early age. So um, it was something that I was proficient at and that I had done my entire life. I knew nothing different. And so when I married Whitney, she had no idea of the things that uh, I had in my past and the things that I had already done um, really against her before we even got married. I'd say my first real acting out would be considered when I was a teenager and I had a girlfriend and I would cheat on that girlfriend or find another girlfriend before I moved on to the next girlfriend or was dumped by that girlfriend. So early on, I realized I didn't want to be alone. And so the best way for me to do that in my mind was to make sure I had somebody else lined up. And so that's how my um, my real deception started um, from an early age. Whitney marries me and she has no idea that this is the person I have been. My first acting out against her was when we were early on dating and I had met somebody um, and I went to visit them and she had no idea. These depths of relationships continued throughout our marriage until five and a half years ago. That was the last time I acted out um, with another person and our worlds imploded. Fast forward then a year and a half during that time period, I lied to Whitney and told her that this was the only thing I'd ever done and and tried to just move on from this um, discovery. And I really just felt like in my mind, we've talked about it before, and I'm sure we will again. In my mind, I just thought I couldn't tell her more. She was already so devastated with what I had shared that I couldn't share anymore. And so I determined in my mind that, that was gonna, those secrets would stay hidden forever even though she's begging for the truth. And then comes along our therapist, our therapist, Scott. And Whitney had met Scott and uh, started working with him. And I think very early on, he explained to her the the therapeutic 
disclosure process followed up by polygraph. And she, of course, shared that with me, which um, scared me to death. I knew that if I had to go through this process, that my marriage was finally going to be over because I knew at that point, once she actually knew all the things that I had done, um, we would no longer be together. And so I had um, I'd fought that process in the past when I'd heard about it. I, I thought, I, and I probably said how stupid it was that you would have to do that. And um, I think she agreed that uh, if you get to that point, it's it's hopeless. And so because of that, I was able to deflect those, um, the thought of having to do that disclosure for, for quite a while. But eventually, I, like I said, after we met Scott, it became apparent that that was what was going to have to happen. I had originally heard of the therapeutic disclosure and polygraph process at um, an intensive we had attended, and it seemed so extreme to me. I really believed that only the worst offenders would be required to actually polygraph to prove uh, the validity of what they were saying to their partners. It seemed like something that truly was just a last-ditch effort to hang on to a relationship that in my mind was virtually unsalvageable. Just, you know, the safety of the partner um, that had to be polygraphed, it just seemed so unrealistic to me that that it seemed like that partner just had to be so far gone um, that I really scoffed at the thought of it. You know, Nathan had really tried to bring this story into my reality for such a long period of time. And although I never felt like I had the full story, you know, after 18, 20, 21 plus months of additional deception, I was trying to make it the story. I was trying to accept that there was nothing else. I mean, he for so long had just said the same thing. I was really trying to make the story work out to be the truth. By the time we landed on Scott's doorstep, and I had, had you know been with him for a few sessions, he began to talk to me about um, going through the process. I believe the system that he chose to work with was Milton Magnus's um, process. There are different uh, disclosure processes. Um, that people can choose to use. I realize that not every therapist uses um, the same um, system, but it was very thorough. He spoke about it with a lot of confidence. He gave me um, some statistics on it. He gave me a book about it so I could read up on it to get a better grasp of it myself. And from there, determined if it was something I wanted to present to Nathan and ask Nathan to do. Scott had invited um, us to do a couple session, and most of the sessions I attended were really by myself, for myself. We'd done very few couple sessions together, even today, um, in the process of, you know, journeying through recovery. We've done a lot of individual work, but on this occasion, Scott asked if, if you know, I would be open to having Nathan come. He had met with Nathan, um, separately. And so I agreed to that. I thought, you know, it's probably a good idea for us to both be in the same room, to hear the same things, to get the same counsel. I was kind of putting Scott, 
you know, on the spot too, because I wanted to make sure he was not flipping the script, that Nathan was getting the same story I was getting. And when you've been betrayed, you you even can question if a counselor's on your side once your partner gets involved, because you have no idea what your partner is saying behind your back. So I, I agreed, and we moved forward with it, and we went into the office, and we had been there for a good amount of time, and out of nowhere, you know, Scott basically kind of stops what we're doing and and directs the conversation to me, and, and he says, Whitney, I just need you to prepare yourself for more. And I was pretty thrown off by that. I was already overwhelmed by a lot of the conversation um, that had taken place in the session, and I said, prepare myself for more what? And he said, I need you to prepare yourself for more women. I believe that that there's more to this story. I, I believe that Nathan has been with more women than you're aware of. And that really kind of overturned everything. And the session ended quickly. It was very disturbing to me. It was a traumatizing revelation. Um, and, and Nathan was there sitting next to me on the couch and, and was not saying no, that wasn't true. Um, and from there, things really fell apart in our home. We came home. There were a few days of time that, that just seemed to be, we were back in the, the numb phase. We were avoiding each other. I, I couldn't really make sense of what had just taken place. Um, and after an altercation, he did confess that, yes, there were other women that he had been with. And I asked him to leave the home. After that took place, I decided that he would not be permitted to come back into our home, that the marriage would be instantly dissolved if he did not consent to this process. Okay, so here I am. I'm left with the option of I'm going to go ahead and get divorced or I'm going to do a polygraph and I'm going to get divorced. Either way, it's going to happen. It took me a minute to wrap my head around the whole process, but Scott went on to describe it to me. And he explained what would happen. He told me that typically, most of the time, he recommends that a betrayed partner give the marriage uh, at least another year after polygraph to really figure out if they can stay or not. And for the betraying partner to give it two years um, to not uh, run out and just keep trying. Scott told me, though, because... Um, Whitney was so injured in this case, he was not going to require Whitney to uh, commit to that year. And in my entitled thought process, I thought, well, if she's not going to have to do that, why should I? And so I fought the process and trying to decide, should I do it or not? And really, it was about this entitlement. That's my life. If you um, if you read this, it's that's basically how my life has been. I'm entitled to whatever it is, and in this case, it was this 12-month time period that Scott said he typically requires. And so it really, just like all of this has taken me time to process through and to realize the really the, sick, the sickness that I've had that I feel like I'm entitled to something um, that I'm really not. And so at that point, I decided, okay, I understand what I've done has been so... Uh, detrimental to Whitney and she's been so injured that I'm going to have to just lay it out there and whatever happens, happens. I knew, like I said, if I didn't do this, our marriage is going to be over. If I did it, 
if I gave the information, if I did the polygraph, if I was honest, at least I would put it out there and see what would happen. And that was really my only hope at the time. Scott had prepared us that the process was a full three-day intensive. The cost was astronomical. The work that was going to be poured into it had standards, and uh, there was no way that Scott could actually get this process going for us in any you know shorter time period than a month. So we agreed that Nathan would be out of the house the entire time. Um, this uh, writing process was going on for him. We were both still receiving individualized counseling with Scott. I was writing up some things that I wanted basically to have for myself um, moving forward. And the house was very, very quiet. Um, Nathan did, you know, basically just kind of separated himself from my daughter and I. He was really not here at all. We weren't hearing from him much. We were not communicating much. And in that month, I was really battling kind of being back at the beginning of this brand new wound um, because I'd had this revelation. I was struggling again to pull myself together, to be emotionally available to my child, to be showing up for her in the ways that she needed, as well as, you know, um, be pouring into myself and doing self-care. And we were, we were essentially really alone. My mom did come for a few days, but, but my child and I were essentially alone in that month time span. And it really probably was the most, um, alone portion emotionally of the journey that I have had to do thus far. I, I really felt at, I think, my lowest um, during that month time period, waiting um, to see what would happen with this process. Okay, so I've decided that this is what I'm going to do. Scott now has worked with me. He's explained what's going to happen for the next month. I'm going to start by doing a timeline of my life, going back from my earliest sexual memory, and that was when I was molested. And I would write out every sexual thing that had taken place and who I'd been with from that point on. And I would give all that information to Whitney. So it wasn't just from our time together, it was everything that I could possibly think of. The timeline helped because then I could go back and it it helped me to remember things that otherwise I probably wouldn't have. He told me about the polygraph process, what would happen, and uh, it couldn't possibly prepare me for what I would experience, but uh, one thing I knew for sure was I was scared to death. I was scared that I could give all this information and finally tell the truth and then I was going to do the polygraph and the polygrapher was going to tell me that I was lying. And that was probably one of the biggest scary things. Um, there was a moment also where I felt like maybe I can fool the polygrapher and not give the information. But very quickly, I just decided that this was my one chance. This was my one chance to get it out. 
to finally find integrity and to be a person of integrity, a person I've said I was all along. And so um, at that point, I really dove into the process. Like Whitney said, we were separated. So I was with one of my friends staying at their house at the time. And most evenings, I would just go in and try and spend a couple hours uh, working on this. Scott told me if I spent less than 20 hours working on it, I really uh, wasn't doing it justice. He told me that it would probably be at least 10 to 20 pages. And as I went through it, my disclosure ended up being 12 to 13 pages of information. Things did come up that I had forgotten about, that uh, I had thought that I knew everything, but by going through it in the fashion that he told me, um, it did bring back things that I didn't remember. And I talked to Scott about my fear that I was going to go in and give the information. Maybe there was something that was forgotten. And what he told me was these things, the way we're doing it, and these things that have happened in your life, you're not going to forget. And so just trust the process and just do the work. And if you do, you'll pass the polygraph. So the day arrives that we actually begin our intensive. Um, Nathan drives over and picks me up. And we had a good, solid hour-plus ride down to the office. We were asked not to leave the city. We were asked to stay in a hotel close to um, the therapy facility. We were asked not to make contact much with other people. Uh, We did obviously make contact with our child and um, her care provider just to check in with her. Um, But for the most part, we were supposed to just kind of surround ourselves with this process, with um, a little bit of homework that he gave us, with follow-up material that uh, was provided to us. Um, So we make it down to the um, intensive, and it just feels like it's going at at a snail's pace from, from my perspective. I felt like a sitting duck. I... I feared more than anything that there would be more information and I prayed like I'd never prayed before that it would just be the confirmation of what I had already been told. I I could not handle more at that time. I didn't feel like I could handle one more revelation. I was scared to death as to what he'd done, who he'd hurt, what had been involved, the details I would hear if there was more. I was I was scared of who he was. I had um, my own fear as to what I had missed. You know, there are so many different emotions, thoughts that just bombard you um, when you realize the time's up. You've you've spent all this time wondering what you're going to have to face. And it is about to, you know, be given to you and you're going to be changed by the process. Whatever it is, the information that you're given or information that's confirmed, it it really is going to change who you are as a human being. And there's no way that you can get around that anymore. We were separated. I was separated from Nathan for probably three hours. Uh, I would honestly recommend to other people 
that if you go ahead and you go through this process, we did it with just Scott, but if it is an option, I, I would recommend each of you having your own therapist available during that day because I felt very abandoned um, in that alone time period. Um, and, and that's something that I would want somebody else not to feel like they're experiencing as well. Um, but, but the moment of truth came and it was time for Nathan to deliver um, his disclosure to me. In that three-hour time period that Whitney referenced, Scott was meeting with me. We were going through the disclosure, talking about um, giving the information, no excuses, just um, laying it out there, and also preparing me for the reaction that Whitney would have because obviously um, there would be more information revealed and how that would affect her. And so we we went through all that. He did talk to me about what was going to happen in the polygraph, although nothing can really prepare you for what's about to occur. Um, but then he brought Whitney back in. And so I read the disclosure to her. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life to go through all of this information. And information, there was more information revealed to her that she did not know, things that I did remember. And it was a terrible, terrible um, thing to do. There's no way around that. But at the end, I had an amazing release of just this feeling that I no longer have a secret. There is nothing that I haven't said Everything that I could possibly um, say has already been disclosed. Whitney then was given the opportunity to ask questions. Scott had follow-up questions as well with Whitney present. Um, They asked all kinds of questions about if I had done additional things, um, just the nature of my acting out. Was there anything else? And I was to answer yes or no to her and to Scott, and that went on probably for at least another hour of just being asked questions so that anything that possibly um, Whitney would have a question about could be addressed. And after that was done, he told me it was now time to do the polygraph. Um, The woman that did the polygraph, uh, she was already set up in the room next door when I walked in. Now I was scared. I was now on the hot seat. I, like I told you, I've still at this point have felt, and every time I've gone to polygraph since, I've felt like there's going to be a false um, reading that I'm telling a lie and I'm not lying. And so that's uh, certainly my biggest fear going into this room. When I get into the room, I see the chair. It... um, I'm directed to sit down. The chair um, has armrests on it that have a gritty um, feel to the armrests. I just, that's where I'm supposed to lay my hands. The woman was very nice. She explained that she was there just to try and uh, get through the process. Um, She kind of told me what was going to happen, and we were going to start with her asking different questions. She went through a lot of the disclosure again with me just to clarify information. Um, That 
the whole process probably took two hours. It seemed like it was a million hours, and at the same time, it seemed like it was seconds because uh, I think it's it's hard to describe the feelings that you have while you're in there. But um, she asked me all the questions. She would communicate with Scott by uh, computer. I they assume they had some type of messaging system where they could communicate back and forth. If Whitney had any additional questions, that she could ask those. If Scott had any questions, she told me she was going to put a piece of paper next to me so that if any point during the discussion I had uh, anything else that came to my mind, I could write it down. And um, she explained that during the polygraph, I was going to be looking at a dot on the wall across from me, that I was to remain still. Um, And she proceeded to go ahead and put uh, two leads around my chest. Um, She put a monitor on my finger and told me I was to sit still and look at the dot. I am, of course, scared to death. Um, my heart's beating 100 miles an hour, and I'm thinking there's no way I'm going to possibly pass this because um, it's obviously the way my heart's beating and things, it's going to say that I'm not telling the truth. So, I, But I, at that point, I had gotten this far, and I realized I just needed to complete the process, and whatever happened would happen. So she's told me that she was going to ask the questions three times in different order, and uh, I was just to answer yes or no to each question. If at any point in time I thought of something else when we were done, I was to write that down. We did each um, of the sessions, and she went through the questions, and I answered the questions. There was nothing additional that I thought of. And um, she told me, thank you, that in each time between questions, she would still go back with Scott um, and ask if there was anything additional that he had that he wanted me to ask, that she, that he would want her to ask. And I don't believe that they came up with any questions, although maybe they did, And but I answered those questions honestly. After the polygraph was over, they put me in a room next door. I had to sit there for probably 30 minutes. It was a very, very long 30 minutes waiting for the results to be read, uh, given to Scott. They Scott eventually comes and gets me and brings me into the room with Whitney. And Whitney and I are both sitting there waiting for the results of the polygraph. As he read the results and said that I did pass and that all the information I'd given was true and accurate and there was no more information, I bawled. I bawled because I was fully known and I was known to be fully known. I think Whitney just sat in silence and, and was just stunned. I mean, she had been given the worst news possible and although I had passed, I'm sure it was a small consolation that now I'd finally become honest and given her the full truth. I don't think anybody is built to get information that's so devastating in pieces as I had throughout our you know, healing process that we, I thought at least we were in the healing process um, all that time prior. I don't know that any human being alive has the strength to sit through something so devastating. 
and hold themselves together or have a clear process of thinking. It was the most befuddling, confusing experience, I think, of my life. And sitting and listening to this story, it felt like the story I was actually getting as to the reality of who my husband was was just wrong. It was nothing at all um, similar to who I really believed he had been, who I believed I had been to him. Some of these women, he didn't even know their names, or maybe he knew their first name. It was so chaotic and so disturbing to my soul. I sat trying to figure out who the man really, really was, And more than anything, I just felt disgust and hatred that I had spent all these years with somebody who really had been so unconcerned about me. He had a sense of freedom he had never felt. And I had a sense of despair that, you know, had not been matched up until that point in my life. It was as if the chains had finally been broken off of him and they were strangling the life out of me. The end of the session had pretty much come for that first day and we were tasked to go to um, an essay meeting for Nathan and an Essanon meeting for me just to kind of get a sense of some of the support that's out there Um, We did that, Um, we write about it in the book, Um, and then we had to continue on for another two days as to how we thought we were going to try to restructure what we thought we were going to do, how we intended to move forward um, from here. I had come up with a few things I needed. Uh, I had no plan as to if I was staying or if I was leaving I had some things I knew that I could handle um, and stay in the home with him if if he was not just staying sober, um, but also getting these things, you know, correct. I I would feel safe enough to stay and and bring him back into the home to see if we could, you know, somehow salvage, you know, any portion of the relationship. If we could try to, you know, stay together long enough to, to rebuild a new relationship. But we essentially really left the intensive with with no solid plan. I was not in any place to make it. Um, there was nothing he could do at that point in time that would have convinced me um, that he loved me, that I was safe with him, that staying was, was really something that would, you know, be to my long-term benefit. Um, there was really no hope left in me as to what um, the relationship potential held. I just knew I had a little girl at home waiting for her mommy and her daddy. And more than anything, she became the thing of the highest value to me that was left. It, it really didn't matter to me at that point in time, his outcome, my outcome. I saw such despair in uh, my case I had been injured and re-injured and re-injured. I had no real faith that I would ever fully heal. But I did believe I could stay in a relationship 
for her sake and for her wellness. Scott suggested that we continue on for a period of time with polygraphs to give Nathan the opportunity to prove that he was doing the right things, that he was telling the truth, that he was coming up with the right conclusions. The purpose of the polygraphs um, really were more than anything. Nathan could, could show us both. He had a standard he had to follow. He could uh, perform things in the way he was supposed to. He could act in the, the ways he was supposed to. And he could show up uh, in the relationship not just safe for me, but safe for himself. And polygraphs were the opportunity for him to prove to me um, that he was living in integrity. We've had several follow-up polygraphs since the initial one. They're never easy. They're always, I always have the same processes in my mind going in. Uh, I do have the knowledge that in the past I've told the truth and I've passed, but still when you get in there, it's still just as scary, I'm not going to lie. Um, there is the fear that you're going to tell the truth and you're going to be called a liar. But it has been something that I have been able to consistently do to show that, yes, I am saying and doing the things um, that I, I'm really being honest. And it's really, it's some, sometimes it's hard for, I believe, any probably betrayed person to believe that their partner is now suddenly being this man of integrity that they're saying they, they were all along. How do they really know that this is really real versus what they thought was real before? So it has been given me a chance to give that information and to try and prove that I am um, saying and doing the same things. We chose to do follow-up polygraphs every six months, and we did several of those. Um, we have not done one in over a year now. I have given it up to Whitney to decide, and I've just said at any point in time, if you feel like you want me to do a polygraph, I will do that. And honestly, there's certain, you know, we have rough days, I'm not going to lie. There are days where I feel like I want to do a, another polygraph because I know it's difficult to believe that I am saying and doing the same thing. And it feels to me like, although it's still a scary proposition. It's something I, it's really the only thing I have uh, sometimes that I can say, okay, this can be proof that I am being this man of integrity that I'm telling you I'm being. I think it's detrimental to a betrayed partner when the unfaithful partner is trying to convince them of their honesty, trying to show them or prove to them um, on their own accord, that they are now trustworthy. It does the opposite of of you know what they're trying to do. When somebody's forcing their honesty and their trustworthiness on you, it, it's not happening organically. And and especially once you've been betrayed, you need the opportunity to begin to trust your own intuition, your own thought processes. Um, there are you know, somatic realities that we feel as human beings in, in betrayal. There, there are bodily um, sensations that take place or there are ways that we have learned to watch our partner 
because we are watching out for our safety. We, we, we have studied our partners. We've done everything we can to, to learn our partner's mannerisms, their, their tone, their, the way they shift their eyes, the way they look around the room. There's so many pieces of this experience that, that you have um, that, that point you towards whether something feels true or whether it feels inauthentic or whether you feel like you can trust it or, or you dismiss it. And, and I think it's essential for the unfaithful partner to know that their word no longer has value. Um, it's lost. The value in you know, what they say is gone. Everything that you know, can lead to healing does show up in action. It shows up in humility. It shows up in follow through. It shows up in the words that are actually chosen um, to be spoken. Is is it tender? Is it demeaning? Is there silence because the partner still isn't responding in the way the unfaithful partner is demanding that they respond? You know, Nathan would say, "I'll I'll take this polygraph. I'll, I'll do this disclosure. I'll do whatever you want me to do." Yet at the same time, he was lying. He was still deceiving me. So proving um, honesty, proving trustworthiness that just no longer comes, um, you know, in spoken word from, from the unfaithful partner. It's, it's an earned trust. Life together, if you stay together from here on out, it's an earned trust. And it can crumble very, very quickly um, if things aren't handled the right way, it, it crumbles automatically if any further deceit takes place. Um, and we have had that in our experience. Um, Nathan did have a polygraph that he went into and he was confronted by the polygrapher and he had to admit that he had omitted details about something he'd done to me. He had to come out then um, from that polygraph exam and face me and tell me what he'd done. And once again, the healing clock is set back to the beginning when that takes place. Um, I think most of the time, neither party really want to go through the process. It's expensive. It's scary. It opens up wounds um, that honestly, most of us don't feel like we have the strength to deal with. But it is the only way we were able to get past fear. It was the only way that together as a couple, um, we could ensure that Nathan could live as an integrated being, that he could put his whole story out there. He could be known regardless of whether I stayed or whether I left. He had the ability then from that point on to be honest about who he'd been and have that fear taken away. It was no longer hanging over his head that nobody knew. It was no longer a story he had to protect at all costs. He finally had the ability, regardless of the outcome, to, to have clean hands and to look at himself in the mirror and to say, from here on out, I'm just one man and regardless of whether you can stay in the relationship or not, I felt like it was a process of dignity that I could give even if I left, even if what he revealed meant 
there would be no freedom in a relationship with him, even if it meant that had to be the end for me. It was a gift that I could give Nathan so he could at least live the rest of his life in a manner that he felt was honorable. One of the things that Scott told me is that she can't really love you if she doesn't know what there is to know. And she can't decide whether she can stay in the relationship until she knows what she's making that decision based on. You're the only one, you're one side of the relationship. You know the story, she doesn't. And so the only way for her to be able to decide if she can even stay is to know the story. The only way for her to know if she can love you is to know what there is to really love. And so that's why I, I decided that I needed to do this. I needed to do it for her. And I also needed to do it for me. There's no doubt it's a scary process for all involved. What I can say is if you've betrayed your, your partner... This is your one chance at freedom. This is your one chance for integrity. This is your one chance to be able to be the person that you've said you were and to have a different life. It may not turn out the way it has for me. Your situation might end, end differently, but I determined for myself that even if that were to happen, I wanted to be a different person. I knew that this was the first step in the process. If you have any questions about this, feel free to reach out to us. You can find us on unearthingbetrayal.com. We have found that healing can only take place when the truth of our story is spoken. We believe in changing conversations being held around infidelity, sexual addiction, and recovery. We hope that by sharing our story, others find courage to do the same. We all stay or go in relationships because of the narrative. We believe healing happens in community. Thank you for joining us today in today's episode. Healing is possible even when it's hard. It does not always happen quickly or in the ways we believe it might, but we're here for the journey.